and welcome to the Words and Pictures podcast. I'm DJ Bowman-Smith and this is Words and Pictures podcast number 74. This week I'll be having a little bit of a chat at the beginning of this episode about my technical problems um, that have kind of beset me for the last couple of weeks and then I'll be doing a few book reviews. I'll be talking about some books that you really need if you're a writer and the books that I use a lot. They're actually here on my desk and I just thought I'd share them with you. Okay, so let's begin by having a little think about the technical issues. But before I get into that, I just wanted to tell you, um, Happy New Year and apologise for not being around for the last couple of weeks. I decided to take a couple of weeks off from podcasting, which is fair enough because both podcasts hung... um, the podcasts um, landed on uh, Christmas Day and New Year's Day, respectively. And I just thought, you know what, it's quite OK to give yourself a bit of a break and to cut yourself some slack. And that was fine. And I kind of put all my stuff away and just got on with having Christmas with my family. The plan was to publish the first episode of the year on the 8th of January. But the computer that I used to do the podcasting on completely gave up the ghost. More of my broken computer later. However, the the enforced break uh, gave me a little bit of a moment to have a bit of a think about what I wanted to do with the podcast moving forward. Because here we are at episode 74, which is about just over a year and a half, I think. And um, yeah, it's doing really nicely. I really enjoy doing the podcast. I love speaking to other authors and creatives in the book business. And it's always fascinating. And I, I was talking to somebody this week a lovely woman from Alabama, and I thought, when would I get the chance to actually sit in a room, albeit a virtual room, and have a, you know, a nearly an hour-long chat with this person? So it is a really great thing, and I always get such a lot from it. And, uh, you know, you make some real connections, I make some real connections, you know, across the world, and it's it's well worth doing. However, it is quite a lot of work, and I've decided that um, for two reasons that I'm going to be doing three interview podcasts a month and one podcast where I do a solo episode. Now, the reason for the solo episode is in the course of, um, you know, on social media and through emails and different things, people contact me and they quite often ask me one or two questions about this, that and the other. And I thought this would be a really good space in which to answer some of the stuff that I get asked about writing and about the creative process or about, you know, independent publishing and all that kind of thing. So if you've got a question, do get in touch. I'm always happy to um, interact with you and uh, I'll definitely put it to one side and see if I can't answer it on here. So one of the questions that I've been asked recently is, um, you know, what books that I think are useful for writers, emerging writers or, you know, experienced writers. And I'll be addressing that in a moment in the kind of um, the main section of the podcast in a moment. Um, but first, I'd like to have a little chat with you about the um, about my technical issues, because, again, in a kind of sharing kind of way, I would like to share what happened to me. So I have a, a, a kind of a big computer here on my desk, which is sort of Microsoft, and I use that for writing on and doing most of my stuff. But when I started um, self-publishing with um, in a more serious manner, I realised that what I needed to do was to handle my own formatting and the best formatting thing that was around at the time and this is going back sort of over 15 years was the vellum uh so i bought the, i wanted to get the vellum but it's only available on a mac now i'm not naturally a macintosh user 
um, I don't have Apple Macs. Well, I do now, but I didn't then. And so I, I kind of saved up some money and my husband gave me a bit of a sub and I, I bought a little tiny Apple Mac, a MacBook Pro. And then obviously then I went on and I bought the, the Vellum software in order to um, do my own formatting. And the thing about doing your own formatting is it does enable you to make any changes if you need to uh, quite easily. And also the Vellum software is really, really easy to use. You really don't need any major technical skills. You can just get in there and, um, and produce, you know, what I think is, you know, a very professional looking book. And, you know, with a little bit of background knowledge and, you know, the good software, it's it's a really good tool. So I can't fault the Vellum. The vellum. And I, I think there's other things available now that you can use on Microsoft, but I have no um, uh, actual uh, experience of using any of these, so I can't really comment that I'm still on the Vellum. Anyway, so that went on and I used that now. It was fine. And so the Mac was great for that. And pretty much that's all I did with it. I put Scrivener on there so that I had something on which to write if we were away. And it's a really got a really good planning tool on there. And so I'd recommend Scrivener. And again, like Vellum, the Scrivener is a one off payment, which, again, I really like. Because I think there's so much out there these days where you're constantly paying dues every month you know, just to be able to use something or other. So I really like anything that's just like a one-off hit and then it's yours. So that's that. And it was fine. Anyway, so the years went by and then obviously I started the podcast. Now, I've often mentioned before that one of my daughters is a sound engineer. When I was talking to her about it, she said, Mum, you do know you can get GarageBand and it's free on a Mac and you just, you know, it's there. You know, so she showed me, you know, what that was. I'd never heard of it put it up, showed me how to use it. And so, you know, the Words and Pictures podcast um, was born, basically. And so I've been using the Garage Band on this little tiny Macintosh um, for quite a long time. And it's been fine. Anyway, for some unknown reason, and it's a bit like I can drive a car, but I couldn't fix it if the car broke. That's how I am with computers. I can do what I need to do on the computer. I'm always learning about different things that I need to do on the commuters that I have here. And um, yeah, that's all absolutely great. But when they go wrong, I'm absolutely clueless. I don't know how these things operate on any level. Now, my husband is quite techy and uh, he has been absolutely great. But the trouble was the Apple, the little MacBook Pro, you know, whatever we did, we couldn't get it back. And it's been like a world of pain. Um, anyway, the long story short is, in the end, I've had to buy myself a new computer. Uh, and I did think that I'd lost all of my files that were on Scrivener, um, which was would be a big shame because I've, I've lost my planning for book three in the Midwich. And I thought that was going to be a really bad thing. And I hadn't got any paper notes on it. It was just all in the, in the computer. Anyway, eventually we did manage to find pass keys and product codes and all sorts of various things they managed to get what I had there loaded back up onto this new new Mac computer which is a big one I don't even know what sort of Mac it is but anyway it's a bigger Mac than I had before um it's all nice and shiny and new and uh, all good stuff um so why am I telling you this um not because I'm trying to give you a big sob story I'm just saying that I think what you have to understand with computers is they don't last forever and they will break. I'm just going to say that twice. They will break. And 
I wasn't ready for this and I would like you to be my writer friend. Um, so what I found was that, yes, I had kept, you know, uh, pass keys and product codes and things like that, but I hadn't really kept them in a sensible, organised manner. So I had days, honestly, days of just going through the backs of old notebooks going through old files, going through old receipts, trying to find the, you know, these numbers that I needed in order to, you know, retrieve my work, basically. So this is the thing. I would do that now. Don't wait until it goes wrong and you're stressed out and you're feeling absolutely horrible and feeling like you're going to lose a load of load of work. Now I've got it in a really good place. I've got all the pass keys and the product things. I've got them all in a, in a little folder labelled clearly in a place where I know where they are. And I've made a big a big um, notebook with, and I've put down all the passwords and all those different things into a sensible place that I can retrieve them really readily and easily. And, uh, and I've told my husband where they are so that he can get hold of them as well if he needs them. And... Um, Hopefully next time everything crashes, I will be much more in a position in order to make it less of a drama than it has been and possibly less expensive. Anyway, so that's my that's my definite um, that's my definite thing with it. Um, I think the main problem with not being able to get my old MacBook Pro back online and this is something else that I think you've got to be really cautious about. And it was something I was completely unaware of. We bought the MacBook Pro on a um, from a, what we thought was a reputable site, you know, reputable shop where you buy computers. I'm not going to name it because I don't want any backlash. Um, but it turns out that when we tried to get the get the crashed macbook back up it had somebody else's password so what happened to this computer was and i've had this computer three years somebody else had had it originally and put in a password and that was the password that this computer wanted but of course you know where it'd been refurbished the old password was still there in the back of his brain somehow and it wasn't listening to anything that i was telling it you know having crashed and so we had to go right back in. I mean, in the end, Apple did come up to the good with the goods because we had got the, um, you know, the actual name of the we'd got the receipt where we'd bought it and stuff like that. So we were, were able to get them to they did manage to go back and get the stuff off it so that we could, you know, start again with a new one, although it's broken beyond repair. That's the other thing. So, yes. So that's my thing. Make sure that when you're buying a computer that it really hasn't been refurbished or fiddled about with by somebody else because when it breaks, you know, that's that's the number it's going to want. It's not going to listen to anything you're telling it. So anyway, it's been very stressful and very expensive. <laughs> and that's why there hasn't been a podcast for a couple of weeks because I thought, you know, I could have borrowed somebody else's computer. I could have done this, that, the other. And I thought, you know what, nobody's going to die Let's just leave the podcast to one side for a minute while I just, you know, get myself back together. And really, obviously, my writing is always my first priority and I kind of needed to get my my actual writing files back online. <laughs> anyway, so that's that. Put your passwords where you can find them and uh, all those product keys and, uh, you know, receipts of anything, any tech that you buy. Um, definitely get that into a place where you can easily find it and where others that might be working on your stuff like your tech friend or your husband in my case um, can get hold of it and keep looking it up and finding what they need to know.
Okay, right. Well, so that's my sorry, sorry tale. Um, and let's have a little look at some books that I think you need if you're a writer. So I'm just flicking some pages here for you for a bit of a sound effect. Um, so my first book here, and this is one of many that I've got, is a book of baby names. Uh, now, baby names are, there's lots of books of baby names. And if you haven't got a family yourself, you might not be aware of that quite often when new parents are expecting a baby they buy a book of baby names to try and have a look at and find out what what name to call their baby and I go to old bookshops or not old bookshops second-hand bookshops or charity bookshops and I always go in and ask you know have you got any baby name books and I have a little look and I, I buy a few and the nice thing about it is that they're all quite varied. Some of mine are quite old and some, some of the baby name books, some of the baby names in there are quite old fashioned. And then I've got some more modern ones. And then I've got some that are kind of based on, you know, different things. And actually, if you can get them in different countries, if, you know, if they're speaking the language, if it's written in a language that you can read, that's always great for as well because you get a whole nother thing. Um, so why do you need a baby names book? Well, obviously to help name your characters. Now, quite often when I'm writing, the characters' names quite often pop into my mind straight away. But not always. That's the thing. Sometimes I might name a character and then come back and think, mm, I don't know whether that's fitting this person now. Now I've written about them for a while and I know them better. I feel the need to perhaps change that person's name. And so a baby names book is great. Um, sometimes you can just um, flick and open it randomly and see where it lands and go, oh, OK, Edward, then that's what I'm going to call you. If you don't want to mess about, you just need a name. Um, but you can sort of root through it. And I do like baby names books where they have, you know, kind of old fashioned name origins written next to the name and, you know, or or names that from the Bibles or different things like this so, so that it, you can get you know, all sorts of different things. And if you can find them, like I say, from other cultures, it's always great fun. So yeah, baby names books, um, start your collection now. It's endlessly interesting. And um, sometimes I've just sat, you know, and sort of glanced through these and seen a name and then thought of the character. Sometimes it, it can happen the other way around, which is good fun. Anyway, I do apologise for any rustling. I have got my whippet in here who is having a little bit of a rummage in our bed behind me. But, um, you know, it's I haven't got ghosts. It's just the dog. Anyway, so that's my first thing. Collect baby names books. Great fun. Um, the other thing is um, if, if you're looking for other names like place names or, well, names generally of things, you know, because everything has to be named. Uh, another way to do it is to go into fantasy word generators. And actually, if you if you put in a search engine and put fantasy word generator, you will get plenty of them and you can muck about with those. And, you know, they're very easy to use and free. There's several online. And that's a good way to uh, make names up, especially if you were like me and you like, used to write like dark fantasy and stuff like that. So you can find some some good things. OK. So my next book that I'm going to have a quick chat with you about is called Save the Cat Writes a Novel. And the version I've got is by Jessica Brodie. And um, I think if you haven't heard of this book yet or read it yet, then you should. 
it's it's a really brilliant book. My book here that I've got is absolutely full of um, sticky notes and bits of paper and um, you know story beat files and all sorts of things. It's and it's quite well worn. Uh, I also have it on on my ebook e-reader. Uh, but I actually do quite like a paper copy of this because it's a really good reference book to just to keep beside you when you're planning your writing. So why Save the Cat and why not any of the other books that you can get? Um, to be honest, Save the Cat is simple. So whether you're used to, um, whether you understand story structure and, and you know, you've read books on story structure and you understand what that is, or whether you don't, it really doesn't matter. Save the Cat is it's simply put and it's it's a book that you can just keep picking up and having another check through just to make sure that your story beats are working with the story that you're writing and you can use it in two ways I generally use it on the planning stage and believe me if you start planning your writing and I don't care whether you say you're a panster I used to say that too if you start planning your writing you will write more quickly and you'll write a story which is much more um, satisfying for the reader. You know, so you have to, unfortunately, um, hang some of your creativity to one side for a minute while you decide exactly what it is your story is going to try and do and, and where it is that it's going. Um, so the Save the Cut is brilliant. Uh, it's got lots of references to books that are common commonplace books that most of us have read. And if we haven't read the book, we've certainly seen the film. So you you would know the stories. And it it uses those as reference to explain the different story types and story tropes within it. And uh, I would definitely say if you haven't got a copy of this, then get it now because it, it will make a huge difference to your writing. I know it has to mine. I mean, I've read other ones and I'm not saying it's the only book that you need on, on craft. You know, read, read some others, absolutely. But I found that despite reading more complex books about writing, you know, uh, planning stories and writing story beats, I've, I've found that this is the book that I always come back to. The other thing that's really good on its side is it's written in a really light-hearted way and it's quite funny. So it's it's a very easy book to read, which is which is great. You know, you can you can read it through, you can absorb it, and then, you know, you can keep going back to it and taking bits and pieces off it that you want so that you can carry on using it. So, yeah, so that's my that's my second book, um, Save the Cat, writes a novel and it's written by Jessica Brody. And I believe it's published by, hold on, 10 Speed Press, it says in my version. So I don't know where else you can. Yeah, 10 Speed Press, it's published by. And um, it's not even an expensive book. So, yeah, I think you can stick that in. I think I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. Right. So uh, the next book I'm going to have a little look at, which is also sort of a bit of a book about craft, is is quite a big book. Here it is. <laughs> um, and this is called The Emotion Thesaurus, A Writer's Guide to Character Expression. And I have the ex the second edition, which has been expanded by 130 entries. And it's written by Angela Ackerman and Becca Puglisi. Puglisi, P-U-G-L-I-S-I. And um, it's it's quite a quite a big book. So as you can imagine, the Emotion Thesaurus has got every emotion that you could imagine, and then it's got lots of things written down about how that emotion is 
uh, apparent in people. So I'm just I'm just flicking here. Let's have a look. What have we got? I've got well, I've just flicked on here. So the first emotion I found just opening up randomly is defeat. And so I have a definition and it says definition, the feeling of having been must mastered, conquered or bested. And then it says physical signs and behaviours, um, the chin lowering to one's chest, hands that go limp, holding one's palms up and out. Anyway, you get the idea. And it gives a whole list of physical signals and behaviours. And then it has internal sensations, feeling a pulse in one's throat, one's heart thudding dully in the chest, wheezing breaths and so forth. And it has mental responses, acute or long term responses for this emotion and signs that this emotion is being suppressed. And it goes on. So there's all sorts of emotions, anything that you can properly, you know, there's disappointment, there's empathy, there's flustered, gratitude, homesickness, horror. I'm just flicking through here. Hysteria, um, insecurity, jealousy um, and so forth. Uh, sometimes when you're writing, you're, I find, well, sometimes when I'm writing, I find I'm very busy with the story. And sometimes it's nice to take a step back and have a think about, you know, the words that you're using and um, to find a, a better expression of uh, telling how the protagonist is feeling um, and how they are reacting to that feeling and an emotion thesaurus is a really good way to um uh, re really hone down into that kind of you know better better description uh, i believe there are others um in this um in this series that's the only one i actually possess but i have heard that other people say that they like some of the other ones that these two writers have bought and um you know again i have a, a physical copy here because it's much easier, I think, when you've got books that you want to have for reference on your desk. If you have a physical copy, it's much easier to be able to just grab that while you're working. And it's certainly something that I come back to when I'm kind of making the sort of first pass, having written the first draft. So, yeah, emotion this, uh, an emotion thesaurus is brilliant. OK, so um, I've been talking a little bit about craft quite a lot. Um, so my last book is um, not about craft, it's about marketing, that ever sticky <laughs> subject that um, that one has to tackle, whether you like it or whether you don't. Um, the marketing is not going to go away and it doesn't matter if you're you know, thinking about being traditionally published or if you're thinking about um, being an independent author like myself or if you're a bit of both. Whichever way you bring your book into the world, you will have to market it and you will have to understand some of that marketing. Now, granted, you are going to have to do a lot more of that if you're independently published. But then again, you have control, which I like personally. And um, even if you don't, even if your publisher is doing a fair bit for you, you are still going to have to understand how it all hangs together and in order to, you know, have a voice at the table, to be honest. So how to market a book. Um, so this is Reedsy, How to Market a Book, and it's written by Ricardo Fayette. And, it, and the tagline is, and don't we all wish this, overperform in a crowded market. Now, I believe this ebook is free um, or it is often free on if you go into um, Amazon and put in those links. I believe, I believe that the book is quite often free. Um, 
because uh, Mr. Reed, Mr. Ricardo Fayette, uh, you know, obviously he's the founder of Reedsy, which is a uh, a website where you can get all sorts of um, writers' resources of one sort of another. Um, and I happen to have a hard book copy here that I picked up at Mark Dawson's um, self-publishing show in London um, in the summer. And um, I kind of put it on my desk and I thought, oh, I ought to have a little flick through that, I suppose, because you pick up a lot of these things in these shows. And I kind of picked it up and I had a little look through it. And then as I started to read, I realised that actually it's absolute pure gold. And I would definitely, if you have picked one of these up at some show or another and and it's just sat there, honestly, root it out and have a, have a read of it. And also, if you need to get your own copy and you don't want to actually buy a physical copy, you can certainly download the ebook for free, I believe. Um, yeah, it is really good. So why is it so good? Well, I think the thing with it is, is it's quite up to date. I think that's the, the first point. I think sometimes you, you and I've read loads of books about marketing and publishing and self-publishing and things over the years and sometimes you read these things and you think well actually this is this is slightly out of date I don't believe that is the case now whereas I think this particular book how to market a book is often um re um what's the word I'm looking for um bought up to date or republished um revamped reworked I don't know pick a word I need to get a thesaurus out and and in order to um Keep it so that it's absolutely on point. And I don't know about you, but I've done quite a few online courses on different things. And, you know, that's another thing. But there's something about this book that kind of brings other knowledge together all in one place. So although I think I'm quite switched on with self-publishing and marketing and, you know, the ads and all that kind of thing and the social media... Somehow reading this, I, and I read it about, I suppose I, I read it just before I published The Midwitch, I I felt that it kind of brought everything together and consolidated my information. Now, I'm an old teacher, which you might have heard me talk about on the podcast um, before. And a lot of things you do, a lot of one of the things you do when you're teaching is having taught it, you then do what we call consolidating the information. In other words, the children sort of know what it was that you taught, but now you're going to really get them to know what it is that you taught them. You're going to consolidate the information so that they really do understand it on a deeper level. And that's what this book will do for you. If you think you know what you're doing, read it anyway. If you don't think you know what you're doing, read it anyway, because it's a really good book. So have a go with that if there is a free link to it or whatever I'll leave it in the show notes I should have looked this up before I started chatting away here but um you know that's the general gist of it so that's my four books I've you know I've got a baby book save the cat motional thesaurus and how to market a book by Ricardo Fayette brilliant stuff right <laughs> okay so that's enough of me rabbiting on that's my sharing of information for this month I'll be back at the beginning of next month to um tell you something else but I don't know what particularly um, get in touch if you want me to address some kind of publishing writing problem and I'll see what I can do so 
Next week, the Words and Pictures podcast will resume its normal format. I'll be having a bit of a chat at the beginning and telling you um, whatever's on my mind and how I've got on with my own writing week. And then I'll be introducing my first guest of the year. Now, my first guest this year is a lovely lady called Annie Fox. And uh, she's a writer, a podcaster, an educator, and uh, she's a great advocate for children's well-being. And she does lots of work to facilitate kind of emotional independence and intelligence um, in children and young people, and, and as well as helping their teachers and their carers. But she's written her first non-fiction book, which is called The Little Things That Kill. And uh, this turned out to be a really fascinating interview for me. I really got along well with Annie. She's a lovely, lovely woman. And her book is absolutely brilliant. And that'll be out on February the 13th, which I learnt was Galentine's Day. Uh, which is a day um, that celebrates women's friendship. Who knew? I didn't know anything about that. So uh, stick around for the interview next week with Annie Fox and hear her read an excerpt from her new book, The Little Things That Kill. OK, so that's it from me. Have a great week. Uh, you can find me across social media. As usual, uh, put in DJ Bowman Smith. Um, you can find me on most channels and you can find me on my website at djbowmansmith.com and uh, thanks for listening it's been great to um, have this little chat and uh, happy new year until next time bye bye